Our next speaker is uh, Alex So, first I would like to correct something. I'm not a geographer, but I'm a, I'm a philosopher. Uh, I have been trained as a physicist as well. I think it would show uh, in the presentation as well. But uh, I can't really think specially, so uh, please don't make me a geographer. I can't. <laughs> so, uh, the, the aim of this presentation is not only to show uh, what the Anthropocene means or change for the environmental humanities, but to build a bridge to uh, geoscience and uh, to show what the humanities, so in my case, philosophy, have to offer. Um, this is maybe the first part. The second part will be uh, a little bit an answer to, to the, the talk we just heard, but not completely. It's not exactly uh, what I had in mind, but maybe we can just discuss it afterwards. So uh, first, what are the uh, environmental humanities? So uh, the expression environmental humanities has been commonly used for a while now. Uh, here at uh, the Institute of Geo uh, Geosciences and Sustainability, we have a group called This Way to which I belong. As a simple definition, the, they are the disciplines from the humanity, the social and human science that deal in a way or another with environmental questions. So this includes many disciplines. You have environmental history, environmental philosophy and ethics, political ecology, eco-criticism, and so on and so on. So, Almost by definition, they are quite open disciplines in, in that they are informed by results from other disciplines, mostly natural sciences. So it's quite natural for open discipline to handle an open concept like the Anthropocene. So, uh, what is striking about this geological concept, the, the idea that man, mankind has become a geological force, is that it was defined without the help of geologists. It was introduced in the year 2000 by Paul Crutzen and Eugen Stormer. The first is an atmospheric chemist, a Nobel Prize winner, and the second one is a biologist. The context of this story matters too. At the time, both were working for the IGBP, the International Geosphere Biosphere Program, <coughs> an interdisciplinary research program on global change. So from its inception, the Anthropocene has been used as a concept to collaborate between several disciplines. But of course, the geologists noticed that some people were using a geological epoch that they had never heard of. Mm -hmm. So paleontologist Jan Zalazievich found it interesting enough to give it a try and set up the Anthropocene Working Group, uh, which you are a member, to discuss the matter in a formal way to, uh, to see if it could be meaning, uh, meaningful for geologists to promote this epoch officially. Uh, my point here is that from the beginning, the Anthropocene does not really belong to a specific discipline, but, but several ones are involved, and it's getting worse and worse. <laughs> now a concept that starts with Anthropos cannot be ignored for a very long time by the humanities. After all, the humanities are supposed to deal with everything human, isn't it? <laughs> but the humanities at that time were living in a post-modern and post-human world. They debated endlessly if humanists still made any sense, or they talked about the post-human world that awaits us, a world where technology and biology merge to produce a cyborg. Um, hybrids were all the rage. So while, the, so while the humanities were busy talking about the end of nature as we know it, the natural science came back with the idea of the end of nature. <laughs> they did something that happens time and again. They put the anthropos in the spotlight again. <coughs> So it makes a lot of sense for the humanity to engage in Anthropocene. After all, its central thesis is that global change is caused by humans. And we know that humans suffer and will suffer from it. Moreover, 
any solution to say uh, climate change will be a human solution. And let me now come back a minute to the Anthropocene Working Group. The group has several questions to answer, but the most, most complex one is the stratigraphic market that defines the Anthropocene. So stratigraphy is not about humans, but rocks, and the ability to read something about the history of Earth from the rocks. When it started as a discipline, stratigraphy was easier than today. It was all about fossils. Uh, the epochs were mainly divided with the help of fossils, so, and so geology made heavy use of paleontology. Then chemistry started to be used, mostly carbon chemistry, isotope. But other compounds were, looking, were looked for as well, calcium carbonate, iridium, iridium contents, and so on. Now with the Anthropocene, things get even more complex, and geology has to play with geography, archaeology, uh, to understand the evidence. So it's hard, it's hard, but wise for me to resist describing all the possible markers. Because the, I think Dr. Adat after me will, be, uh, will do a much better job for, for that. So I have only listed the categories. Uh, but what is interesting is that, is that many disciplines are involved to specify all these potential markers. But you cannot find a single contribution from the humanities. The reason is, it seems, uh, is that for the natural sciences, it's quite easy to discriminate. Uh, to discriminate between what is anthropogenic and what is not. For instance, nature does not like metal by itself in pure form. Aluminum, zinc, uh, brass, okay, it's not pure, did not exist in this form on Earth before we produced them massively. Other compounds were unknown on Earth, uh, polymer, plastic. So there's no need for a philosopher to discriminate between what is natural and anthropogenic. And yet, I think it should be obvious that the Anthropocene cannot be only about a given state of nature. Somehow, a description of it must include a deeper version of the human than plastic. The question is, uh, how can we take responsibility for and respond to a change and changing world? And the answer is not simply scientific, but also social, cultural, and political. Now, I have been told by geologists that the market is not the most interesting thing, even for them. It does not give you an understanding of an epoch. Its role is to separate. To understand a geological epoch is to understand its dynamic. In the case of the Anthropocene, the dynamics are given by humanity. Everybody recognizes this, but geologists or earth scientists are ill-equipped to describe these dynamics. So, so this, is how, this is how earth scientists understand dynamics. So this is called the Bretterton diagram. It's a simplified way to show how the Earth system works. So the boxes are different parts of the systems, and the arrows show how the parts interact. So mostly the systems works without any input from humans. But there are some humans on this diagram on the right side. It's funny that the only black box is called human activities. <laughs> you can see that there are some output arrows. One is called CO2, another one land use or pollutant, and a single input arrow called climate change. So the, func the function of this schema is that the boxes have specialists linked to it, and so it makes sense to ask the social science or the humanities to explain how the black box works, and why, they, and why it sends so much uh, CO2 to the tropospheric chemi chemistry box. So this diagram defines how, uh, how different disciplines can collaborate. It's divided and compared. You start with the systemic framework and then integrate as many disciplines as needed, possibly social science too. Uh, 
So I have, I have an example where, where it is done this way, it's not global, but they still use a button diagram. It was presented here during a team seminar by Maya, Maya Schluter from the Stockholm Resilience Center. So the idea is to model, to model the Baltic marine ecosystem in order to predict the dynamics of the carp population. So the carp, the fish we eat, is an active hunter feeding on other fishes. But it is also actively fished. Now there have been episodes of abrupt collapse of fishery of cod linked to overfishing the cod itself and the resources depends on. So the idea of the model is to take into account parameters like the biochemical environment, nutrients and predation relations. But there are human dimensions too shown through the fishing effort, market price, economic demand and the amount of fishermen. The result is a complex beast called socio-ecological model. Obviously, obviously, this is something very useful and rewarding. But I would like to add that this kind of collaboration between natural and social science is very frustrating for the humanities. What we touch here is what C.P. Snow called the two culture. The, the problem is that models based on the systemic framework focus on quantities and facts. Whereas many things the humanities workers have something to do with value. Uh, but it is a central dogma of the natural science to refuse to work as value. And so the only values you can find in these models are market or currency values. But with the Anthropocene, I think it's impossible to, to avoid the question of value and meaning. So, but where do you, where, where do you find meaning? Uh, so this is, these are the kind of questions we philosophers like to ask. Um, with the Anthropocene, the answer cannot be love, children, or fulfilling career. Uh, I argue that with the Anthropocene, the meaning is embedded within the narrative that comes with the concept. Uh, as I said, to understand the Anthropocene is to understand its dynamic. And you understand the dynamic with a story that explains how and why we entered this new epoch. The inventors of the concept got their own version, a grand narrative of humanity, of, or, um, or what they call human enterprise. This, they stated their goal as, I quote, to examine the trajectory of the human enterprise through time, from the arrival of humans on Earth to the present time and into the next centuries. Uh, it is the story of one species, uh, how, of how one species come to dominate the surface of the Earth. So humanity is the sole subject of this story. The expansion happens through four stages of human history. So first you have the pre-interpretant events like mastery of fire, place to sane extension, early agricultural, de early agricultural development. And stage one in the industrial era, which, which shows an enormous expansion in the use of fossil fuel on the Haber-Bosch synthesis. Stage two is the Great Acceleration. Uh, 1950 is uh, where the pressure, pressure on the global environment increases sharply. And then you have this stage three, where I quote, humanity is in one way or another becoming a self-conscious active agent in the operation of its own life support system. They advocate then the use of geoengineering and as a way to take control of the Earth system. So with every stage comes a greater mastery of nature and a bigger impact on your, on your environment. It gives the idea that humanity grows from childhood to becoming an adult being with full reflexive power. At first maybe there seems to be nothing wrong with this story. At this level of generality we simply, we can't uh, probably all agree with the facts. But you can also smell uh, the scientific ethos. The, the story seems to be literal, literally value-free, a pure description of what happened. But for several thinkers from the humanities, this, simply, this story is simply too neat and beautiful to be, to be true. Mm. They ask some very simple questions. 
So, who is this human you are talking about? Or what is this human enterprise you are referring to? What does this category of anthropos imply? What does it obscure? What do we gain or lose by adopting this grand perspective on the human? Thus, lumping together under the sign of the human, the average Swiss, the average, the, the average Peruvian, and, say, Aristotle, as agent of planetary change reveals something new, or does it hide something? So there are two main problems with this. So the first is geotime temporality. So it evokes very long time span that goes beyond all political time scale. It depoliticizes environmental problems and gives the appearance of inevitability to, the, to this story. And the second one is the species talk. So the anthropos function as a unifying political process. But it made not a lot of sense to talk, to talk of humanity as a whole. It has never been unified at the political level. The problem gets even worse, uh, is even worse, in fact, as sociogenic problems are being, are being naturalized into anthropological ones. Historians, for, for instance, never talk about humanity as a species, as they have, be, as, as they have been dangerous historical examples of the poli political use of biology. Another reason is that belonging to a species does not give you a good explanation of a given behavior. But the biggest problem is that species talk obscures or, ev or evades the unequal responsibility of human beings. It hides some fact like that just 90 companies cause two-thirds of man-made global warming emissions between 1751 and 2010. Or that, up to 1980, the USA and Great Britain were responsible for 50% of all historical uh, emissions. So while everybody at COP21 knows this, it is impossible to read it from the progressive story of the Anthropocene. A simple medicine to this disease is to change the terminology. Rather than uh, Anthropocene, maybe we should talk about Anglocene, Technocene, Capitalocene, and so on. But the remedy is to change the narrative. More generally, what this critique addresses is that there are very good reasons to confine the meaning of the Anthropocene within traditional history. Many events used to justify this new epoch happened within a historical time span. So I side uh, with this interpretation, interpretation, and I know that Jean-Baptiste Fresseau too. But not all historians agree with that, and some have been, have been impressed enough with the narrative given by Crutzen. They ask they that if we give a conventional uh, historical story, we miss uh, the novelty of the Anthropocene, that is, what does it mean for humanity to have an impact for the millennia to come? So the post-colonial uh, historian Deepesh Chakrabarti tells us that the Anthropocene is the specific moment in history where natural and human history have converged, and that historians should start to consider how to embed humanity as a species within history. He offers no solution, though, to, to the fact that species is a, is a biological category and not an historical one. But he asks that this new epoch require, requires a great engagement with global or deep history, even if it probes the limit of historical understanding. So recently, Clive Hamilton said something similar. He asked that while it is certainly true that capitalism is responsible for the, responsible for the majority of CO2 emissions, these are only the proxy causes of the Anthropocene, but that there are deeper causes that drive the humanity and the world into it. The reason and status of deep causes is, a, is quite a controversial topic in philosophy of history. It's not so easy to dismiss them, but they are problematic in their own way. It raises, it, it raises the question of what is exactly an historical explanation. For instance, when you explain the French Revolution with the rise of the bourgeoisie, 
you already have something like a deep cause. But when the cause gets deeper and deeper, it gets harder, it gets harder and harder to escape from some, some, from, from some sort from some form of determinism. So historical explanation starts to use terms like historical process spirit, guiding hand of God, or maybe human enterprise. If you accept this, it is even harder to avoid thinking that humanity has a destiny. And maybe here lies, here lies maybe my last grief with Anthropocene. It encourages species narcissism and conceals the fact that uh, the anthropology changes are not really under control and that we shouldn't be so proud of our actual impact on the Earth system. Thank you. how the environmental humanities as a broad uh, lumping of disciplines has taken this Anthropocene concept mm -hmm. and run with it far beyond Crutzen and the, and the geological day. What, why this concept has, why has it taken hold so much, uh, more than some other concepts? It seems to be a, something around which people have really sunk their teeth into or run with it. Is there any? I don't know. What, what, what I said in the talk is that it's, like the environmental humanities, it's a very interdisciplinary concept. And, um, and Anthropos is just a very general concept. So, uh, but uh, do you know why the Anthropocene is so popular every, everywhere? Yeah, the only thing that comes to mind is almost that the, the lumping of calling the name environmental humanities is about as old as the Anthropocene. Maybe the uh, two things appeared uh, on the scene at the same time and it was a convenient... <laughs> But that's that's, that's, that was my about, idea. Yeah, it's true, it's about the same time. And it's around 2000. Mm -hmm. Other comments? Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I feel like the Anthropocene is, is, about, is, 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 this, is about taking responsibility for our actions. And we, we as humanity like to think that um, Nature, as, as Earl said, you know, nature is there, it'll always be there, it'll be there after we're gone. So there's kind of this, there's kind of this, can be this argument that it doesn't matter what we do, everything will be fine in the end. <laughs> and I think that the Anthropocene has become this kind of political concept because there, there is a certain group of people with an agenda, and that agenda is we need to protect, conserve, maintain environment, nature, um, and by acknowledging that we live in this geologic epoch where we are responsible, where everything that happens is our fault, that, that also kind of makes us responsible to do something about it. So I, 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 think, I think the humanities actually have a lot to offer in this in this in, the, in that in that field because in that in that direction because because there you really can get into this philosophical idea of are we responsible? What is our responsibility to the planet, to other species, to each other? Thank you very much. Is there no other questions? We'll